Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. For the safety of you and others, please make sure all hands, feet, and arms remain inside. And please watch your children. And now, let the show begin. Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. A show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in. I cannot tell you how excited I am to get this interview finally out there. I've had it for a few months now. You guys know if you've listened to the podcast. You knew I did it a few months ago. And uh, other things I had to get out there before this one. So I'm so excited that today you're finally going to hear my interview with Carol Spinney, the voice and puppeteer of Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch ever since 1969. You know, as I, I as I sit and reflect about this this interview, I just feel so blessed that I have had the opportunity to interview and talk to most of my uh, childhood heroes, and uh, this one definitely does cross off one of my bucket lists. You know, I mean, Big Bird, Sesame Street. Who didn't grow up with Sesame Street? And if you didn't, I'm 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 sorry. It it was an amazing. It still is an amazing show. So, Carol, thank you so much for your time. I love this interview. Hope you guys love it too. Um, as I mentioned in this interview here in a little bit, I, I mentioned that I used to do puppet ministry for my church in Reno, Nevada. Um, I want to play just a little, just like 20 seconds of that. So here I am. I think I'm around maybe 8, 9, or 10 years old. Here I am voicing Carlos. Wow, that's neat. How'd you know on all that stuff, coach? I'll set it right over here. Out of the oops. Oh no, my spider got out. Wow, that just brings out so many memories. That's crazy. Anyways, um, so I just wanted to play a quick clip from Sesame Street just to remind you how amazing the show is. And uh, here you'll hear Carol and all his amazing voices. And then I'll just go straight to the interview, so I hope you guys really do enjoy it. If you do, please remember those positive iTunes and Stitcher radio reviews. But that's about it. Go check out SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And uh, here's Sesame Street and then Carol Spinney. 12, 13... 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Okay, can I just say one thing? Do you know that you are the first bird I have ever watched that can count to 20? Really? Yeah. And do you know one thing? Do you know that you're it? Tag! Madeline's it! Madeline's it! Trick, trick, did I hear somebody say trick? Hey, Curly, come in. What is it, Oscar? What hey, is... uh, uh, I, I don't want to miss this trick, I hear. Uh, look, uh, pick my can up and put it on the sidewalk, will you? I want to get into this trick. Wow. Oh, okay. Just be careful, Curly. Just don't drop me, okay? Okay, Oscar, okay, don't worry. Yeah. I don't know what the trick is, but I don't want to miss it. Goodbye, Gordon. I'm heading for Puerto Rico. Ah! 
Hey, Carol. Hi, how are you, Tim? Good, how are you doing today? Great. Well, I, I kind of want to start off by just saying that I'm a Sesame Street kid. I was born in 1980, and I remember loving it so much, sitting in front of the TV before school. On, on sick days, I would stay home and watch Sesame Street. And So thank you so much for being such a big part of my childhood. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you. It's kind of a dream for me because I, I'm doing what I did when I was a kid. I drew comic books all the time, and um, I've had my own comic strip uh, published uh, for, for two years while I was stationed in Germany in an American newspaper. And I've, I've been doing puppets on TV now for almost 70 years. Wow, that's... <laughs> Can you believe it? That's insane. Yeah, really. Actually, it's, it'd be more like 65 years, I guess. I used to do puppet ministry from my, my church when I was... I think I was maybe eight years old. Uh -huh. So I, I remember just kind of tuning in to Sesame Street to get the inspiration for my... My puppet was named Carlos. So I was Carlos the, the, the puppet. And uh, I, I remember just wanting to be a puppeteer when I was a little kid. Yeah. I saw my first show when I was about five. I think it was. Uh, I think they were students, uh, either high school or college. But uh, when you're five, you don't know how old people are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kids on Sesame Street. You know, I was when I was doing the bird. I still do it. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I still have the job. Anyway, I've asked little kids. Uh, so how do you, how old do you think one I am? One says a hundred, <laughs> and at that time I was in my thirties, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then another one said, 17. I said, I like you best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I, I must say, to do what I was doing as a little boy, I decided by the time I was, uh, I, I saw another puppet show later on when I was about seven or eight. And I gave my first puppet show when I was eight. I had a, I bought a puppet for five cents. Wow. Uh, oddly enough, I found, a, I came across that puppet. I didn't know I still had it. Wow. That's really cool. Monkey, I paid a nickel for. Wow, it's got to go in some kind of museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just about to draw. I'm, I I take commissions on drawings and uh, color, full color drawings. Uh -huh. um, uh, and they wanted a picture of Oscar and Big Bird surrounded by puppets of the world. So oh. I, I have some books on puppetry. So I'm just putting about six or eight puppets in the scene with him with them all different colors and different types, all the way from the ugly ones and, and uh, <laughs> the, the, from the, you know, from Asia. Some of them are pretty ugly. Speaking of ugly, and, Big Bird was pretty hideous the first season. He of was it. awful. I, I was so disappointed <laughs> when I was, they build him around me, you know. Although, strangely <laughs> enough, it's the same head you see now as I started with in 1969. Wow. it's It's been redecorated many times with different feathers and, you know, improve they get got better and better at, at uh, every every about every two years they get a re re uh, total rehashed and uh, it needed because the feathers don't last too long no they're real feathers and uh i would always be pleased sometimes when they show up and other times i said no that's that doesn't look close enough to them look at look at your photos it, it doesn't look right you know so i'd have to get them straightened out <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let's go a ways back and tell me about that um, show you did at Salt Lake City in the late '60s, the one that got really messed up. Can you tell me a little bit more about that show? Yeah, oddly enough, I was uh, on Friday night. I, I did a show in that very hall. It's called Kingsbury Hall at uh, the U University of Utah. So I didn't know when I was going there, flying there. 
on uh, last weekend to to do the show that I was going to be in the very theater I was in where everything went wrong. Uh, what what happened was um, I had a very elaborate show. I had uh, already learned animation, how to produce it, make it, draw it. And I just decided to, to uh, build a rear screen projection theater so the puppets would perform in front of this rear screen. And uh, I filmed the animation. I took almost a year to do it. I had use of a lovely animation stand for free. And uh, so I had a, that's my first using of a, it was computerized. That was way back in uh, the 60s. Wow. Although more more like a rec- like uh, the early um, adding machines, uh, probably more like that, you know. Okay. But not not really full computer. But uh, I still don't have a computer, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I I made this film, and the idea was that I was going to meld two uh, mediums. One is uh, animation, and the other is live puppetry. And for instance, the pup, when the when the show starts, these it's a blue screen because I could project from the back, 16 millimeter films, and uh, I made the films myself. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't make copies. I only I used the original, which is very unprofessional. Because mm-hmm. eventually, before I ever got home, my car burned down and lost everything. Oh man! In it, and uh, I, I I lost including years film work. So I couldn't ever, and the theater was mostly destroyed. Wow. So uh, it was all packed into my Ford van, which were big vans in those days. So uh, it was just a one-shot deal, but it got me this good job. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, you know, actually, uh, what went wrong was that they, I, I started the show, I put it on my music, I, I, run, I bought knee switches. I could press them on my knees because I had to do this on my knees on, on the foam padding because I couldn't stand up, the theater would be too tall. Hmm. As it was, it was nine feet tall. And because uh, the screen was, it was the shape of the modern flat TVs, you know, wide, long and wide. Uh-huh. And uh, so the, the uh, screen is blue and these white uh, geometric forms, like triangles, came dancing out and moving as though they were alive. And uh, then they, the idea was that they jump off the screen and you'd see them going forward and then I would replace it with a an exact duplicate of it in front. And so they would then dance with themselves, both in, in animation and in uh, moving form, which I was moving around. But I, I look up, and to my horror, I couldn't see the screen. There was a great big wash of light all over it. Somebody had, uh, I had carefully balanced the lights in the place before I went for supper. While I was gone at supper, somebody came along and said, oh, there's not enough light on that. I hadn't my because they didn't turn. I didn't leave my puppet lights on, mm-hmm. which were built into the theater, so they would light the things with the, the character, the puppets, so that it would not rush on my screen. So they put this big floodlight on, and I, I, so I, I, I couldn't see the screen to do the animation, and move my puppets in sync with the what I had filmed. So I had to stop everything, which got it all out of sync, and. Um, I came out front and I said, could you please turn off that light? I did not put that on. It should, I don't know who wanted to help, but they, they're they destroying mm-hmm. the show. <laughs> and Walt and uh, Jim Henson was in the in the audience looking. To know he was, I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was scouting for a new show. Yeah, oh, man. And um, the new show, of course, was Sesame Street. And um, 
So, but but in a way, um, Jane Hansen pointed out because Jim was sometimes a man of few words, other times he talked a lot. He's a genius. Anyway, he uh, if I hadn't had the the theater go wrong, I wouldn't the show wouldn't have been so funny. Is uh, I I was my reactions and ad libs were funnier than my writing. <laughs> so, so uh, it, that's what made him decide that I was good on my feet. And uh, even though I was kneeling, oh, uh, <laughs> and um, that I, I would be a good person to maybe have him do a new puppet he wanted to build, a tall, goofy bird, and a, 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 a purple character who lives in a pile of trash named Oscar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he wasn't, never was purple. And I changed Big Bird from being a goofy yokel to a uh, a child. Yes. Yes. That was about probably. I, I, I might as well choose. Three months into the show, I, I began to realize how inappropriate it was that he was a country yokel. Yeah. Well, hi there, a big bird. How you doing? Uh, uh. And uh, you know, I could have sung, oh, "I love you, you love me." <laughs> it would have. It would have. I could have gotten that job. Yep. <laughs> Thanks. Do you know that uh, Barney weighs seventy pounds and Big Bird weighs ten? Wow. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. so, so anyway, um, I've worked with Barney a couple times. Oh, did you? Yeah. And uh, I was on also on the, um, what they call it, a, a, a satellite uh, recording, where satellite stations all over the USA and Canada could get satellite images of what I was doing, and they would could interview me on the radio and sometimes even for TV because we had a had cameras on. They were fixed. There was no cameraman working. Uh-huh. We just switched from one to a, to a two. So, uh, and one of the people said, uh, "Can you stand up, Big Bird? I'm, I, are you standing?" I said, "No, I'm sitting on a stool because I'm a lot taller than um, the dinosaur." <laughs> so I, he says, "Can you stand up?" I stood up. The camera's being fixed. I stood up right out of the picture. <laughs> bird's head was above the frame, <laughs> uh, and but he he didn't have to. He was standing already, so yeah, <laughs> uh, a great deal of probably about a three foot difference in height. Wow, that's crazy. No, I, I read your book actually, the uh, words of wisdom, um, the wisdom of Big Bird. Um, I read that not too long ago, and I think it was chapter three. You mentioned three of your main heroes in life. One of them was Walt Disney. And the other one was Jim Henson. Yeah, and the third one was uh, um, the artist um, yeah. Wyatt, or Wyatt uh, yeah, yeah. Andrew Wyatt. Yep. Yeah. And I, 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 we had been in the room with all three of them. Right. Wow. That is crazy. I, I, I was hired to be an animator by Disney. Uh huh. Walt walked into the room just as they were saying, "Well, we we think you could work out well as an animator for us." And Walt then walks in and says, oh, "Wow." And I talked to him. They said, no, he's going to be busy. So I never got to see him. Oh, no. But it was Walt. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw him. It was, it was no more than uh, two, three feet away from me for a minute. Wow. See, in the, in the documentary, yeah. you mentioned that, but I didn't know you actually saw Walt himself. Yeah. So I did get to to, to meet all three. of my, And uh, uh, it was interesting being with Andrew Wyeth. I met him in Boston. And he, at the Museum of Fine Arts, he had a show, a, a retrospective show of his, he, some of the things, 
he he came out and I, I spoke to him and he came out in the lobby where I was waiting with Bozo the Clown mm-hmm. and who I used to work with. Yeah. And uh, the Boston Bozo, what he called him. So uh, it, well, Andrew then was with his son Jamie and he's showing his son, all to his son because a lot of it had been sold years before and why uh, Jamie had not seen a lot of it in person. So uh, he said, "Would you? I'm, we're going to, I'm going to show this to my son. Would you like to come along with us and, uh, and join me?" So it was just three of us going through the whole uh, empty museum, hmm. except it was full of his paintings. God, it was great. Stuff. Wow, I and, can't uh, imagine. Yeah, so uh, I got to, and I, I never, ch- I didn't bother interrupting them at all while they're talking together. So I just watched and listened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would still be and amazing. And. Uh, so I really had a wonderful time, uh, and but with Walt, I didn't get a chance to speak to him. But Jim was the one who I worked with for long, for twenty years. Yeah, I was going to say, what yeah. what was it like the first time you worked side by side with Jim? Well, of course, I, I'm where I said, my God, I'm working with. I didn't get to work with Walt Disney because I walked out. I didn't take the job that day. I mm-hmm. decided I could do better, and that was only because of the pay. Yeah, yeah, fifty-six dollars a week. That's not very good, even in 1957. Yeah. That's pretty poor for specialist work, you know. Exactly. So I, I, within a year, I was, uh, within six months, I was making animated films in uh, in Boston for commercials mostly. And uh, after four years, I discovered how much I don't like making animation. <laughs> <laughs> the last, I, I did only a little animation after the, the disaster of Louis losing that film. It burned up in the car. Yeah, I I tried suing Ford, but they hired big guns because they didn't want to lose the case. Yeah, and I lost, and it cost me a lot of money to lose. So uh, I didn't, decided not to do any more animation. I don't like it because I can get plenty of work doing what I do. And so the first time you worked side by side with Jim, were you nervous? Were you excited? Yeah, well, I was. I guess I was really in awe, uh, and. Um, but it, I, say, I kept saying to myself, gosh, I'm working with Jim. And he was very quiet, but very understanding and com- kind, very kindly man. And um, he never yell at you. But I wasn't doing so well the first few things I did. Mm-hmm. I kept missing a, the opening of a song we were doing. I, I keep missing it. I open the mouth of the puppet on the very first, when they first start to sing. The other two would be doing it was Frank and Jim. So he said, well, um, just uh, listen, there's a little tiny bell you'll hear, like ding, when you listen for that, and then open the mouth as you, as it just, the ring starts going away. Ding, and uh, open the mouth. And uh, it, that's how he did it. He'd rather say, can't you do it right? Because mm-hmm. that's the way Frank would speak to you about it. <laughs> Frank is not the same man but, yeah. uh, as Jim, but they, they were very close as far as working goes. Yep. You know, it, it's quite funny. Um Walt Disney and Jim Henson are two of my idols as well, and yeah. I would have loved to have just been in the same room as it, with both of them. Of course, it, it can't happen now, but uh, oh, yeah, they're both gone. Yeah, all um, of them, all three are I, dead. Yeah, I know. I, I hate getting older. It's just people passing yeah, away. Yeah, I, I had a lot of people. One of my fav- my favorite classmate from high school. He was the only one who, uh, when I was being bullied mostly by words. Also physically, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a lot of cr- you'll see mentions of it if you see I Am Big Bird. Yeah, that's a, that's a great documentary. Yeah, so um, he, Jack Whittier, it's just a tall guy, about six two. He said, 
don't listen to them, kid. They're, you're much better than they are. They're, they're just idiots, you know, and uh, you don't deserve what they're doing. So just ignore them if you can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he was such a good fellow, but he just died. I was so sad. See him vote once a year. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, he—he he, funny. He—he he, uh, everybody ages differently, but he was still tall, very tall. But uh, he always looked a little bit. Now as he got an older age, he looked like an old hound dog. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't know if he'd like this <laughs> comparison. Yeah, <laughs> he was a wonderful guy. Yeah. When Jim passed, how hard did that hit you personally? Well, we couldn't even believe it. I got a phone call at about a quarter seven in the morning. They wanted to call, let us know his, about his death. We'd not see it just on the TV because they knew it would be in all, all the exactly. TV shows in the morning. And it was. He died at one thirty at night. And uh, so so it, the phone call went like this. This is Ann Kinney. I'm private secretary for, to Jim. And he died last night at one thirty. I said, oh, my God. But, no, died? And, my, and Deb heard, heard me say that. And she assumed it was my dad, who was very, very old. He won. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, so I said, no, not my dad, Jim. She says, Jim who? I said, Jim Henson. Well, she had to say that only because we were close friends with him, except uh, you can't picture him dying, the most vibrant, yeah. lively man I ever knew. The day he hired me, he said, how do you like to work? I said, he said, I said what do you mean? He said, well, do you like to work long hours? Like Frank and I like to work all day, all night, and then next, all the next day, and then all the next night, and the next day again, too. Three days of it, without ever going to bed. Wow. Do you like to work like that? I said, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, but I will work as much as you need me. Yep. I will be there. So uh, and I don't think that Jim, uh, that Frank was quite the same as Jim, wanting to work like that. Jim said that he hadn't had a vacation in three years, and he'd much rather work than go on a vacation. Hmm. Well, we, at that score, we're kind of directly opposite each other. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So, uh, and now I only have to work once every few months. Wow. We didn't record this past year, so we'll make a lot up uh, this year. Okay. But we're we're two months late starting, so you know, they're started. They'll start in April, but I'll be in Hawaii at the time. And I can. And I, now the way I'm doing it, I'm doing the voices, and I can add the voices to the scenes when I get back. Okay. So they said, go ahead with your trip. And so it's pretty nice. Is it Matt Vogel? job, and I don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, all yeah. the time. And Matt Vogel's in in the suit itself. Yeah. Okay. He's just a terrific guy, and he's he's uh, he he's working on the Muppet Show too. But um, in the, an article I just got in the, we found a, in a magazine called Masters' Preview, it says that. Uh, not only does he work for Muppets, uh, as well as going to be my stand-in, uh, he's he's also uh, Kermit the Frog. He's not Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Steve Whitmire is. Yeah. And, uh, he, but he does, uh, he is now the person who does, the, I am the coat. I like to coat things. Okay. But he can do uh, almost anything. So he's doing very important characters on the Muppet show. Nice. That's, that's got to be exciting. Somebody who you kind of brought up into the world to see him go advanced yeah. like he is? Yeah, because I, I, uh, Deb and I saw him at a local puppet festival in uh, Atlanta in nineteen in the late 60s. And he was doing a puppet so well, I said, gee, Muppets could, would hire you on the spot. They could use you. Mm-hmm. 
to Lisa, I'm just signing a contract with the uh, um, animated ones who created uh, things like uh, Huckleberry Hound and, and those kind of puppets. Okay. Uh, not puppets, animated. Animated, yep. And uh, so they wanted to break into puppetry. Well, they, so they, I, I, I spoke to him just in time because he, they, he, as soon as he met uh, Jane, she says, you're hired, you know, because as soon as she saw his work, yeah, Jane Henson. Mm-hmm. She she was the scout for him for new characters, new work, new workers. So uh, they, uh, I, I'm kind of think of them. I'm trying to, why is the name of these people? I can't think of them. <laughs> their name is. Anyway, they didn't make it with puppets. They, oh, Hanna Barbera, you're thinking of Hanna Barbera? Yeah. yeah, they did not make it into the world of puppetry. It's it's hard to do. You need some background before you can just just step yeah. into it. And how did you come to the voice that we hear as as Big Bird now? How did you? Well, uh, at first he did. Uh, Jim said, "Think of the." He thought it, he see he'd always wanted to make a character based on the Latroy Dragon, which is a a dragon shaped cost, costume, but from the neck up, it's your hands in the head, and you can manipulate the head, and uh, make and it becomes very tall. Big Bird was eight feet two, and I was the smallest boy in my class, so there was a lot of satisfaction <laughs> <laughs> in that. So uh, when I suggested that they let me play him as a kid, which is much more useful to the story than a yokel from from the sticks, he talked like a like a Mortimer Snurd. Mm-hmm. You probably don't know that character, but he was you know, part of Edgar Bergen's small troop of of ventrilo puppets. You know. So anyway, I, uh, I so I just lightened his voice and. Big Bird's voice is my voice. I just just go higher. So hello, hello, hello. Hi there, here I am. And uh, so I just it's just my own voice. And uh, Oscar was a different thing. I never had done a voice like him. And um, so it was probably you probably know it was the cab driver. Yes. And uh, we're two Mac. Like <laughs> I said, gee, I think I can do that. You know, so I started talking like this. I said this will do it. But I decided to have him speak a proper English because after all although some characters say me want cookie and uh, uh-huh. and Elmo always speaks of himself in the third person which which is not going to help them with learning no nope, exactly but it also gives them quite a character <laughs> so but anyway my, but uh, Oscar if they if they put in words the writers put in words eight ain't or other things like that I uh, I correct it <laughs> He's grouchy, but he's, he does speak a good English, and so does Big Bird. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he might be grouchy, but he's he's good at grammar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it, 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 particularly since my characters, particularly in the way he used to be, because it was every day was, uh, almost every day, Bob McGrath would be the victim of, of Oscar's tricks. You know, like, like uh, what's that you got there, Oscar? So it's just a, my new invention is an electric spoon does all the work for you. So really, how does that work? I said, well, let's, I'll show you. Here's a bowl of, uh, well, the script came along and said, here's a bowl of uh, cold paint. And uh, I said, wait a minute, tilt. You can't say that. I said, this is, what's the matter? Well, we're teaching the kids don't eat paint. <laughs> and they're going to have Bob eat paint? Are you, are you kidding? Uh-huh. Not, they, none of the characters should ever suggest, even no. Oscar, if it's not food, we don't suggest eating it. Exactly. Oh, that's fine. So, uh, but I would. So Bob would pick up the spoon. And he did really all the work, 
And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to plug it in now, Bob. And there's a wire trailing from this big spoon. And it, it suddenly his hand goes back and forth in the cup, and it gets covered with gravy. Because I had him change it to cold gravy. <laughs> and uh, so Bob is covered. That's typical of what Oscar would pull on him. Oh, yeah. And I had practice with that. Because on the Bozo show, I, I created a character called Bozo's Grandma, um, Grandma Nellie. He was always yelling in the cartoons, Whoa, Nellie! So I called her Grandma Nellie. Okay. And uh, she was always bamboo, trying to bamboozle him like a bucket of steam, 25 cents. Now, what do you want a bucket of steam for? <laughs> we <laughs> use dry ice for that. And I had my uh, a good friend of mine uh, who was a student at the time at BU, and uh, he was in the uh, box, which I had them build in the prop department. And uh, uh, so Carmanelli so would say, uh, 25 cents, and he'd have to reach in his pocket, kill him a quarter. And uh, I said, Granny would say, okay, I'm going to give you a scoop in here, some steam. And, of course, he'd put a chunk of dry ice and put a little water in there, and steam would come out of the bucket. So, But the thing is, he was down in that box. There was no air holes to get this, that camera dark side out of there. Mm-hmm. Displaced the air. So I looked down in, and there was no, no, another... No, no, the bucket was not coming out. I looked down and, and Mark is un, unconscious on the floor of this oh, man. box. So I said, uh-oh, um, I, I see, I think I'd better get out of here right now because I see there's another pigeon coming down the street and I, maybe I can get some money off him. <laughs> so I pushed it out. It's, it's on rollers so I could get it off the thing. I said, get him out of there quick, he's dying. <laughs> <laughs> so he was all right after about half an hour. Wow. <laughs> But anyway, I uh, so the, the, she was always bamboozling her own grandson, and uh, so that was kind of a fun thing, and and because I, I was on every day, uh, and every show, some on some early days I was in every show, except maybe one or two per season. One year I was in every single show. Wow. Uh, so of course Elmo kind of took over. Yeah, he did. He kind of did. That's around the time that I remember not watching it as much as when he was really introduced. Yeah. It's funny. I had a character. In, I had my first TV show in 1955 in Las Vegas. It paid $10 a week. Uh-huh. That's been a lousy show. I didn't even have a monitor. They wouldn't rig it up one, and they could have done it so easily. So anyway, uh, I had a rabbit. It was my, the white rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. My mother built that show. Uh-huh. Big flop of a show. That, that Alice in Wonderland is not a great story for kids. <laughs> no, <laughs> too silly. Kids don't like it. It's kind of boring. Anyway, uh, uh, let's see what happened. Oh, I know. He had. I used a falsetto voice for for Rascal Rabbit, the star of the show. And uh, <laughs> if the thing is that uh, uh, I, I, that boy, I had a writer who was, it was very wordy writing. Uh, it was all just talk. Not a great show. Should be a lot more action with puppets. Peekaboo and all that stuff. So uh, I, 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 I suddenly got those orders to be shipped to Europe, and I was, I was kind of thrilled with that. So, but I knew it had to end my TV show. So I, so I go to work, and I said, "This is going to be the last next to the last show, because after next week I'll be gone." I said, "Why? Oh, I'm being shipped out." And uh, so the director said, "Let me tell you something, my boy. If you ever get another TV show, 
Don't ever use that voice again. After a half hour hearing him talk in that <laughs> squeaky voice, it sounded just like Elmo. <laughs> wow. And just think, uh, years later, take me Never did the... use that voice again. <laughs> yeah. Falsetto <laughs> was easy to do then. Now my uh, my voice hasn't changed. Uh, Big Bird sounds just like he did when he started, which is why I can still be in yeah. my 80s and do the show and play the six-year-old. I don't think anybody has ever on in show in radio or television done a six-year-old no. story actually in his <laughs> 80s. <laughs> I, I can't think of one, no. <laughs> no, I don't think there is. So... You've been Big Bird for more than 40 years. Yeah, 46 and years now. Sad to say that there's one. There's going to be one day when Carol Spinney is no longer Big Bird, voice or the, yeah. the puppet. What would you like to be remembered as? What would your version of Big Bird like to be remembered as? Well, the child that he, that we've always played him as ever since I changed it. And uh, continue to be uh, the naive, but... Uh, Naive is kind of a kind word for stupid, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not really dumb. It, 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 originally, Big Bird was very, very, uh, not very smart. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, that was the idea behind him. And I said, I don't think he, I think he should be maybe a little slow and le- slower at learning than uh, a real child, but uh, still he can learn. And uh, he wasn't, you know, drooling or anything. <laughs> so I, I just, I think just continue to be. He's he's actually more of a human than he is a bird, because birds only may want a cracker. Probably want a cracker. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, but uh, he he's a he got he would be in human kind of roles all the time. I think they would probably continue with it uh, after I'm gone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly, people like Matt who can get very close to the voice. Although while I'm alive, they're paying the extra thing because he would could do the voice. Uh, for me to continue doing the voice, which is wonderful because I, I don't want to stop. No, I wouldn't want to stop either. It sounds like a dream job. Now, people say, why don't you, don't you want to retire? I said, what, walk away from being Big Bird? Would you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Most people say, oh, yeah, put it that way. Yes, I wouldn't want to leave. <laughs> and, and nobody does. Now, earlier in the interview, you mentioned that you do, you commission drawings. People commission you to draw. How can people do that? How can people pay you to, to get a drawing? Well, uh, they some people write to me and ask, "Can you do some sketches for me?" Well, I, they don't offer any money, and I don't bother. I've got too many; I can't even answer all the mail. Exactly. And uh, but I, I have a little gallery in Putnam, Connecticut, that sells my stuff. It's the only one representing me now, and so if people like the stuff, uh, they can see it on the internet if they want, because it's it's on the internet too, uh, or and they can commission it. Uh, they, Sometimes it's come by phone, the commissions, and uh, but a lot of times they'll see the drawings and they say, "Really, can you do a drawing specifically for something I want done?" Mm-hmm. They said, "Of course." And uh, so this one is going to be a, more money because I'm doing a lot of research in it. Exactly, a lot of characters from different countries. That would be amazing to have a official Carol Spinney drawing. Well, they are pretty nice because I was uh, the one. One thing got me hired quickly with Disney was it said your stuff was it, it, we we like the fact that you you already draw like um, in the Disney kind of style. Yeah. Well, I I just loved Walt Disney stuff so much when I was a kid that I uh, have for years tried to emulate them, not copy them so much. Exactly. Create my own characters, but yep. have them be like they would come out of the Disney studio maybe. 
Well, all right, Carol. This has truly been an honor. I, I've interviewed most of my childhood, you know, heroes besides the ones that I already passed on. And I got to say, this has got to be my favorite one I've ever done. So this has been truly fun and honor talking with you. Well, thank you. It's very kind. Well, I, I hope I get answered what you need. For you, your, if you have any follow-up needs, you can use the phone. Actually, you know, I do have one more follow-up. Since last week was the, the anniversary of the Challenger, and yeah. you, you talked about that on the documentary, how you were supposed to be on the Challenger. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about that? That part really hit me pretty hard when I watched the documentary. I, I cried when I watched it because it was just so... I mean, first of all, we lost so many great people, but then Big Bird could have been on the Challenger. Tell me a little bit about no, that story. It would have been... It would, they, they realized it was... A, it would, if Big Bird died on that thing... I, I can't uh, imagine it would be what me would... Me too. Because... Uh, and yet, I've often thought, if I had the reason why I couldn't go was because the bird was too big to put on the ship, uh, no place to store it. And um, I, I'm glad I didn't offer my suggestion, which was keep him. It wouldn't matter if he was out in the vacuum. Yeah, he could, could have stored it in the big storage area of where they have an arm and they make big things out. Exactly. You know, they, they, yeah. they set things out in orbit with that uh, mechanical arm that can lift things out. I thought, well, they could just. I put the costume in there and bring it in through the airlock. And um, I, so that way I could get to go. But then I'm afterwards I thought, gosh, I'm glad I didn't tell them. Yeah. No, although I felt we, we, were, we watched it go up and we cried because it was so sad to think of those people dying. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine the kind of pain that even people... I, I, but knowing I had been scheduled to go up in it, um, that uh, I... My scalp crawled when I thought, oh, my God, they just all died, just died. I would have been there. And a uh, very, very uh, awful thought because I'm very happily married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that in the documentary. She seems very lovely. Yes, yeah, she is. She's just the best thing. I, I, I want, at that part, they, twice in the film, they come back to this party where I, I was singing I Love Trash uh-huh. myself without being... Uh, and with the puppets or anything. And that was a party that Jim Henson threw for my 15th year of being with them. Gosh, now it's 46 years because Jim <laughs> didn't stay that long himself, unfortunately. Wow. And, um, but uh, in that party, uh, I said uh, getting to be Big Bird was the second greatest thing I ever had happen to me. And I then put my arm around Deb, who was standing next to me, mm-hmm. which was made, you know, I didn't have to use all the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, uh, but as a as a person, a boy who was a puppeteer, boy puppeteer, and that have it be go into such such success, it's really. And I, I've been mentoring a young man. Uh, he wrote to me first when he was five, to me, not to Big Bird, because children would write to Big Bird a lot. Oh wow! Dear Big Bird, you're my best friend. How about why don't you come and play with me? How about next Thursday? That was. Just, <laughs> another one was. Um, I've just gotten a brand new bunk bed. It's a top and a bottom. You can come and stay, and you can have the top. That is so sweet. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had a chance to be in bunk beds, and I always wanted the top. Uh huh. Just seemed like you're on the top of the world, you know. <laughs> yeah, those... In the Air Force, I took a top bunk. <laughs> Finally, get the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I I was awfully lucky and happy that I could do this for a living. Well, you've made a lot of children very happy. I know that for a fact. Well, thank you. 
and uh, you know it's 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 a nice when I was uh, uh, what what did we did in uh, Salt Lake City was uh, almost an anniversary of the well it was a not a, I I I did my show that was a disaster it was in uh, August I think of 1969 and uh, of course it did get me this job but uh, anyway I I really have a, a, my life seemed like this is what it should happen for me you know mm-hmm. to get that job. And as soon as I saw what the show was like, I said, I think I'm going to be in a terrific position because uh, I think, and I'm the only two puppets who was on regularly all every day. And I had the two characters. Within a year, Big Bird and Oscar were the stars of the show, and they were only intended to be just in a little uh, more fantasy than just everything being real. Yep. So, uh, so I, I said, I think I'm going to, this is going to be awfully good for me. And uh, indeed it was. So since you've been Big Bird so many years, do you ever have weird dreams where you actually are Big Bird? Not lately, but I have. <laughs> and it's all funny because uh, um, once in a while I'm still working for the Muppets, although I've never, I'm just another schlep with the Muppets. And uh, uh, But uh, some of the stories would be, I'm, I'm late getting to the show. Uh-huh. It was a nightmare. I couldn't get to the show in time. And, uh, and, I, and I would be always upset there's no script. And yet, he said, you'll know what to do when you go out there. I said, can't go out on national television without some <laughs> some direction, some idea what you're going to do. And, uh, you know, that, that one is a theme that often comes along. I, I must, within the last year, I had that same dream. It, yeah. it's, it's almost like the high school dream where you forget the combination on your locker or something. Yeah. It's not quite it's not quite the same as being downtown with no clothes on. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That dream that wasn't too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Carol. This has been amazing. Can I get you to close the episode out as Big Bird and Oscar? Sure. Well, it's awfully nice talking to you there, Tim. It's nice visiting with you. And I, I, I keep watching Sesame Street if you get a chance. <laughs> and Oscar's here, too. Oscar, everything you want to say? Yeah, be quiet, you turkey. Hey, I'm not a turkey. Well, <laughs> He always calls me a turkey. I'm not a turkey. I'm really a giant golden condor. You look like a... I think I don't think you're one of those either. Yeah, well, I know I'm really... I'm not a giant golden condor. I'm really just a lark. Ha-ha! <laughs> Little funny words there. Bye, everybody. Hey, have a rotten day. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, Carol. Thank you so much. Hopefully one day I can actually meet you in person. Sure, love it. We're gonna. Uh, where are you uh, located? I'm in Montana, so it's kind of hard for me to. Nothing really huh. comes around Montana. We we you know we filmed in uh, Billings. Oh. Uh, uh, did did you see the movie? You did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you could. There's some scenes from Billings, um, where we met the uh, Crow Crow Indians, and uh, you know, Big Bird is is uh, I'm, uh, me. I'm standing there, and it's the most beautiful hills, all covered with a, a little. little uh, uh, juniper trees. They call them cedars there, but they're not really cedars. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, I love that part of the country, but yes. I, I like where we are, so we never... I never did move to New York. I spent uh, 46 years driving back and forth to New York, and it's a it's an hour and three-quarter hour ride. Wow. That's insane, but it's totally worth it, though. Yeah. Well, it's worth it at both ends, because I have a piece of land that I bought in 1961 for $40 an acre. 
and it's a kilometer long, and, and it's the most beautiful piece of land you ever saw. You would starve to death on it. Poor, <laughs> poor soil. You know, it wouldn't be good for a farmer, but, uh, and there's so much rock and cliffs. cliffs there's rocks stick up out of the ground all over the place, big, great uh, ledges, and, and uh, one of the cliffs is about 30 feet high. It's a straight drop. It's dramatic. Oh, is that is that the part of the documentary where you see where your wife is sitting there on the cliff? Yeah, although that cliff was uh, in Ireland. That was okay. the cliffs of Mohar. Okay. Those, those cliffs were 70, yeah. 700 feet high. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she, I, there was a promontory of land sticking out. That's how I got that shot, uh, you know, um, and so I could look across a gap and see her. That's so why I... I I said, you sit there, and then, then I'll wave to you where I'm going to start filming. We we got so much good footage. We gave them uh, probably uh, 500 hours of film. What? <laughs> that is great. <laughs> took them, wow. took them four, four years to sort through it to, to, and make the story they put together. Wow. I thought they did a good job. Oh, it was it was remarkable. It really inspired me. You know, it's funny. People, uh, uh, I uh, one guy has been writing to me. Just I've never met him. Uh, but uh, I continue. I answer his letters once in a while. I haven't got time to do much. But uh, yeah. Anyway, he's older than I am, Old, older than dirt, as we say. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, uh, he said you must be making a lot of money from that movie. I don't. You, you, when you're in the subject of a documentary, they get the money. Exactly. Not, not you. Yep. You're the subject. But it's not like being an actor and being paid. I'm not complaining. I love these guys. They're great. Yeah. No, and it, that movie can't hurt. Nope. My, my future. Anyway, I'll let you go. Yeah, Kara, this has been great. Okay, have, well, have a rotten day. <laughs> hey, that's my words. Sorry, Oscar. <laughs> I'd never say that. I'm sorry, but I'd never say that. You just said it, Oscar. Oh. I hate you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.